This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Thomas, welcome to Better Reading. Cheryl, thank you for inviting me in. Now, Helen has been a journalist for over 40 years and was the manager of ABC News Radio until recently. She has written five books, including Moods, The Peter Moody Saga and Murder on Easy Street. Helen was a young journalist at the age when the Easy Street murders were committed in 1977. The brutal murder of two young women shocked Melbourne. It's still one of Australia's most notorious unsolved crimes. Helen spent months researching the murders in 2005 for Radio National's background briefing. She has now released a new and updated edition of the book featuring new interviews and insights. Now, wow, I've got a lot to talk to you about. So we had already spoken about this book and this book was on our website, right, called uh, Murder on Easy Street. So that would have been the first edition. So what year was that? That was 2019. 2019, yes. So I'm in San Francisco minding my own business and I haven't thought about your book at all (laughs) by then. It was this year, 22, and some man leaves a message on my mobile. I don't pick up because I don't recognise the number. And he leaves me a message and he uses the word murder. And I completely freak out because mm-hmm. why is a man talking about a murder calling me? And I ignore it again because, I, I mean, I'm such a scaredy cat. So then a couple of days later he calls again and it's an unknown number and he says he, we actually speak and he says that his name is Terry And he knows who killed the two young women in Easy Street. And I am crazy petrified. Why are you telling me this? Go tell the police. Go tell the police. (laughs) Right. Don't tell me. I don't need to know that. Oh, he said he's telling me because the book is on our website, which is how he tracked me down. So anyway, that was that. A couple of days later, I'm talking to my colleague, Jane, who is so intrigued by true crime, and I tell her that this odd man called me about a murder, and that was it. Jane ran with it and tracked you down, and that's why you're here today. She did. She's a good She's a good detective, a good investigator. <laughs> she, she is. Let me just say this, Helen, over my career, and, do you know, all I've ever done is worked in a bookshop, worked in publishing, ran my own business, uh, worked with readers, worked with writers, and people in crime do continue to ring me. I don't know why. One time a wonderful woman, I was sitting at my desk, and a wonderful woman called Rosemary Zamet rang me, and I'm like, you know, hi, how are you? What can I do for you? Back in the days of the landline. And she oh. said, um, my son was murdered. Mm. And I'm like, okay, all right, terrible story, but what, what has that got to do with me? And Rosemary had called me because she wanted to tell his story. Mm-hmm. And then years later I was in San Francisco and I got a text from Louisa Hope 
Do you know her? I don't know her, no. Lind Cafe. She was in the Lind Cafe with her mum. Mm-hmm. And she rang me when I was in San Francisco. So there seems to be a little bit of a pattern here, Helen. Mm. And I think it's about trust, Cheryl. I think the work that you do and have done for so long makes it clear to people that you are very willing to talk to them and you can be trusted. And I think that's in terms of true crime and certainly, you know, working within the parameters of journalism and true crime, that's really, really important. That's crucial. Hmm. Okay, I hadn't thought about it that way. So when Jane contacted you, where were you at with the book? Talk to me about that. I think at that point, Cheryl, I was I just finished um, the final chapter, the new chapter in the new edition of um, the book, uh, which, you know, let's call the epilogue. So it was about a week or 10 days too late, but it was a terrifically intriguing story this bloke had to say and it was just one of a number of people he was just one of a number of people who rang me around that time in that sort of six month span just as I was doing the epilogue and after I was you know after it was finished from people who like him had tried to call the police but hadn't got through on Crime Stoppers so out of sheer frustration and wanting to do the right thing you know and help with this investigation that's gone on for so many decades eventually found me via you in this case, via my publisher in another case, and I think even through the ABC. So firstly, let's talk about the story. For, for those of us that don't know the story, talk to me about the murder on the Easy Street. Well, one of the reasons it's stayed in everyone's mind so much, particularly in Melbourne, is because it involved two young women in their you know late 20s and their home, and there was a young child, a 16-month-old toddler, in one of the bedrooms, in between, you know, the, the girls, the young women's bedrooms. And it was a particularly brutal attack of both of them, particularly um, one, because she had struggled with he, with the murderer in the hallway. So we're talking many, 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 many stab wounds. And I think even for the police, particularly the young police who went to the scene, it was something that never left their minds. I just think the idea, the thought that that could happen in any city, but a particularly a, a fairly quiet, you know, relatively comparatively quiet, staid uh, city like Melbourne, even in a suburb like Collingwood, it really shocked people. And the fact that the the young women had remained in the house, I think they were killed on the 10th of January in 1977 and they weren't found that night. They weren't found until Thursday. So what's that? You know, a couple of days later, uh, and the little the little toddler was there all that time on his own. It was one of those scenes that all of us could imagine and just be horrified by. Mm, how terrible! Is the mm. little toddler is all I guess is an adult now? Um, yes. Have you had contact with him? Look, I had contact with him many many years ago because I initially attempted to do this as a radio documentary for for background briefing, and I I found him then, and he. He did speak to me, but he was very clear about not wanting to be involved with mm. anything in any radio documentary or anything since. And he, true to his word, he hasn't been. He he just doesn't want to do it. We're talking about Gregory Armstrong. He was aware when I started doing the research back in 2017 for the book. He knew at every point he could reach out to me and, and we could talk if he wanted to mm-hmm. because he was in contact with his aunt, Gail Armstrong, uh, Suzanne's sister, his mum's sister, but he never wanted to, and I respect that because it's an ordeal in itself mm. that he's been through as such a young child. Clearly, you know, as he said to me many, many years ago, he, he can't remember it. But to 
actually have to keep fending off questions from people like me mm. would be too much. And I, I understand that on, you know, a number of levels, but I certainly professionally respected that decision. So, no, I haven't spoken to him directly beyond that point. So tell me about your involvement or more like your interest at the time of the murders. Where were you and do you remember it? And why were you interested in particular or was it a job that you were given by your editor? No, 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 I wasn't uh, happily. I wasn't on police rounds at that time. I was working at The Age and I was into my, I suppose I was in my third year of a cadetship. But it was a crime, you know, a double homicide that was just it didn't overwhelm the city. I think that's going too far. But it certainly was one of those instances where it sort of touched everyone. Everyone spoke about it. Everyone wanted to know, you know, how how quickly the killer could be brought to, you know, brought to heel, if you like, brought to justice. That still hasn't happened 45 years later. And I guess the other reason, Cheryl, that as a young journalist, it sort of resonated within journalistic circles, no matter, you know, where you were working, was because one of the early suspects, one of the first two suspects that the police really focused on was a journalist himself. And so there was a lot of talk within the newspaper rounds, if you like, you know, and and back in those days it was The Age, The Herald and The Sun, as well as The Dailies, like Truth. So you can imagine the discussion that went on there. There was This is long before mobile phones, this is long before social media, but you can imagine the sort of discussion, let's call it, that 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 happened at that point. So we know what time they died. We know we know so much that it's well, and you would know this because you've written about it. It's so intriguing that so much of it is known, but we still haven't found the murderer forty five years later. Why? Why do you think that happens with some particular cases? Look, I don't know why. In some instances, this these things just slip away, if you like. I do believe there were leads that just weren't followed. I mean, I remember back in um, when I started doing the research for the book as opposed to the, working on the documentary back in, you know, I don't know, 2005 or whenever it was. In 2017 when I started doing it, I remember going to Melbourne and thinking, okay, well, I'll contact the police and I'm sure having, because just months earlier they'd set a million-dollar reward for, you know, information on the case, I'm sure they'll ring me back. Hmm. Three or four days later I thought they're not ringing me back. I'd better bloody get out there and do some pretty basic journalism. So, and the other thing that really annoyed me, particularly at that point, was everyone kept saying, oh, I don't know why you're doing it. There's nothing new to be found. You're just never going to find anyone, you know, that's going to know anything. And within a couple of days of just, you know, being really like Journalism 101, the young cadet again, it became apparent that not only was that not true, but in fact, in Easy Street, there are still people living there who were there at the time of the murders. And Depending on their age at the time, I mean, there was one uh, one guy there who had been sort of six or seven years old, and he remembers even now he remembers the police and the ambulance descending on the house. He didn't know it was happening, but that's his memory as a kid, you know. On his little BMX, he and his friends were zooming around until their parents realised, I think, what was happening and shooed them away. So he's living in the ha- in the street behind Easy Street, but at the time, he and his parents, he and his family were there in that street. His mother remembers it very clearly. There's another family that lives about sort of half a dozen um, houses up the up the up the street, up Easy Street, uh, and Christina remembers it very clearly. And 
you know, so straight away I got the sense that, hang on, there are people here who not only remember it but have some interesting things to say. And one woman who lived a couple of doors along from the two young women was absolutely insistent that the police just hadn't sort of done the right thing. You know, like they they hadn't taken various things as seriously as possible. Like four or five doors up from the girl's house was a family um, that were living there and their son, who was sort of in his early teens, I think, at, at that point, he and a mate were living, were in the house and at about 2.30am they'd been sitting up, you know, having a few drinks and watching telly. They went to bed, one in the front of the house and the other in the back, and both of them heard a car, two car doors slamming from just up the street, which, you know, they felt was sort of in front of 147 Easy Street, and then two car doors slamming and then the car zooming away. To this day, Peter Sellers believes there were two people involved. To this day, he is waiting for the police to come and talk to him. Because mm. even though he has run Crime Stoppers over time and give, tried to give them the story, really the own family is is me. So, you know, and then you get to the, the woman who lived next door, but that's a whole different story. And that that took a little, little bit more tracking down. But in essence, you had two, you know, slightly elderly people living opposite the the girl's house had a sort of what was once called a dunny lane in between the next terrace along. And Gladys Coventry and her husband were living in the house that sort of, you know, shared the dunny lane, if you like. And she doesn't appear anywhere in any um, of the reports, she doesn't appear anywhere in any of the police documents that I've been able to read, you know, through the coroner's courts, certainly didn't give any evidence to the coroner. And yet she maintained and tried to tell the police that she'd seen a bloke leave the girl's house out the back gate, walk away up the lane into the street carrying a knife. Now, how they missed that, how they didn't get her statement and and an old identikit, remember the old identikit sketches that they should have got? I Even as I speak to you about it now, I just can't believe it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How did the family feel? Had you been in touch with anybody at the time? Because that must be a terrible heartache for the family, knowing that probably the investigation was botched up. I have been in contact with them all the way through since I started, you know, work on the book back in 2017. 
And even when the book came out, I made sure to stay in contact with him because I just think you're right. It's been an extraordinary ordeal. And I yeah. can, only, can only imagine how it must feel. You know, when they launched, for instance, when they launched the uh, the million dollar award back in 2017, Suzanne Armstrong's sister Gail was asked by police to to join the um, press conference, you know, the media conference announcing that, and she did. But when you look at it, I actually didn't um, attend it, but, you know, I watched it. Uh, when you see it, you just, you can sense, well, it's more than frustration, isn't it? The despair now, this many years later, that sort of money is being, has, has had to be put up to try and get new attention and new information on this case. And yet, you know, years later, I don't think anything very much has come from that. And, you know, sometimes that sort of reward posting does work in the sense that it seems to get more information, but in this case, no. And yet there she was. At every point the police have asked um, Gail to step forward and, you know, be the public face, of, if you like, of this case. She has done it. But I feel at great cost to herself because it's just Every time you have to go through it again and every time in this instance, one of the things that struck me about that media conference was that there were journalists, young journalists there who hadn't been born when this happened. So they were sort of asking really basic questions, which were important for them, but it was just taking her right back again, you know, and there was no, mm. I didn't, there was need for that. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think, very difficult, you know, to be waiting for such a long time and yet both families remain hopeful that there can be some, I hate mm. that term, closure, that's not, that's never going to happen, but some form of, you know, legal resolution, if you like. Mm. So there's a new, and you'll be well aware of this, there's, you know, the wave of true crime podcasts, true crime books like yours, and all of a sudden they are highlighting um, old cases and some of them, I think up till recently, you know, people have been charged because of the work that the journalists are doing. How do you feel about that? Well, I think it's extraordinary. It's great. You know, like I guess the most prominent case is the Chris Dawson matter. That's that, right. That yeah. came out of um, or was pushed forward again into the public arena out of the Teacher's Pet podcast. And yes. in a sense, in Australia, the Teacher's Pet and the first trace, you know, the ABC's trace looking at the Maria James murder were the two podcasts that really, in an, in a, an Australian sense, really pushed those two matters forward in a legal court, you know, literally in a legal arena or and ending up in court in Maria James's case in the, coron in the coroner's court again. So I think that's you know, that's profoundly significant. It is, isn't it? And it kind of makes me think, is it incompetence on the behalf of the police or is it lack of resources? Because when you have a look at the investigative work that journalists and these podcast producers do, I guess maybe they have more time and they're more focused on that case. Would that be right? How do you feel about what's happening? Look, I guess there's a truth in that, Cheryl. The, the, the thing is, Headley Thomas, I think, would tell you, I don't know Headley, but I, I think I can remember reading where he he was frustrated with people saying, oh, it's amazing you just found this out. He's been working on that case for something like, what, 15 or 17 years to get mm -hmm. to the point where, well, certainly they are now, but you know what I mean? So it wasn't just something that happened overnight. And certainly Rachel Brown, I, I know, had been, you know, had been well aware of the Maria James matter, the Maria James murder in Melbourne for many years before she did Trace. I guess it's a sense of 
It's a, it's a bit of, it works both ways, doesn't it? It's a dogged pursuit, if you like, even in their own time by some journalists of these investigations, which also merges with what were the police doing? I mean, if there's one question I get asked about Easy Street, it is what were the police doing? Now, that's not fair because, in a sense, because the homicide division at the time was, from what you know, I've been told, incredibly overworked. You know, there weren't enough detectives in fact, it probably wasn't even caught. They were from homicide, but it was a different setup than it is now. And they just had too much work. But at the same time, in my heart, I think had the initial detective who went into that house, you know, there were sort of two young detectives that went in and he was the youngest. Had he been allowed to stay on the case, mm. that would have made an extraordinary difference, I think, because to this moment, he's never forgotten it. And he was rostered to go on holidays at the end of that week, and that's what he did. It's I astounding. Think if he had not gone on holidays, it would have been a different kind of investigation. Because also, how you know, and what astounds me with the whole thing is that police resources are tight, and I completely understand that. However, how many people were murdered brutally that year, and they couldn't invest the resources into that? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, this was a standout crime, right? Oh, absolutely. Astonishing. And I think the other thing that happened in this case, and maybe it happens in, you know, a lot of cases, the police, the detectives working the Easy Street double homicide were convinced that it was one of two people. And then within a very pretty short space of time, they thought it was the person, you know, the journalist who was, who just happened to be staying in the house next door. Now, 20, it took 20 years before DNA you know, forensics came in and cleared him. He was probably the first person cleared or one of the first person cleared. But because he'd also been at the scene of a disappearance of a young woman, young American woman, two years earlier, they just were convinced that one person could, one bloke could not be in two such awful, you know, scenarios, two such awful locations and not be guilty. And Mm. that was wrong. Mm. And I think when you are absolutely convinced, and I think they were, and absolutely focused as they were on that and just waiting for that somehow to sort of, you know, be proven, that's going to stop you looking elsewhere, even to the point, as we we know now, of talking to the the woman, you know, the the neighbour on the other side of the house, Mm. Mrs Coventry. Mm. Do you think you know who did it? No. No. I wish and does I did. That, does that eat away at you? No, because, you know, I'm I'm not in the story. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a journalist covering the story and I feel that it's so important for the families for this matter to be resolved, you know, in mm-hmm. a legal sense. And I and I feel for them, you know, when I when I meet them and I talk to them, I feel so for them. But at the same time, I to me, I can step away. You know, I'm not mm. Susan and Suzanne weren't my sisters. They are women I feel I know much, much better now. And I think they're women that, you know, we all, from what I've heard from not just their families, but also from their friends who remember them, the thing that comes through, I think, in in part of the book, you know, is just the sort of women they were. And they were just like us. Mm, and of course. It, it drives me crazy that this this hasn't been resolved. But I I think I don't. I think it's. It would be. I don't know what the right, right word. It would be wrong or indulgent of me to say I'm not mm. part of the family and I can only 
you know, imagine what that must feel like and respect how strong they've been for so many decades. Mm. Helen Thomas, we're out of time. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. So intriguing and my heart goes out to the family. It really does. Well, thank you, Cheryl. And I think, you know, as we were saying at the start, if anyone believes they have any information that could help, even a little bit of information is incredibly useful because the way I sort of discovered that, you know, Gladys Coventry, who'd been living next door, had actually seen that bloke who were leaving the house was just by a little kernel of information, just a little detail somebody mentioned that I then started picking away at and unravelling. And wherever possible, I've made it very clear to the police some of the information that's come to me. When people are comfortable for me to say, can I give you your name to the police? Can they call you? That's exactly what I've done. And I think that's what we have to do in this case and other cases like it if we're ever to you know, in our lifetime, have these cases solved. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And if if anybody does have any information, contact Helen, not me. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.